Well, hello to all of you. This is the December post-Thanksgiving, near Christmas, end of the year edition of the EMS pod. And it's a wonderful opportunity to get back in front of you and provide you with information that maybe something you've never heard, maybe something you'll learn, but hopefully something that you'll enjoy. So to start us off for this particular episode, we have Taz Meyer, who is the Bureau Chief of EMS for the state of Missouri. And he's going to give us uh, some updates in Missouri. Hello there, Bureau Chief Taz Meyer. How are you? I am good. Thanks, Doug. How are you? Good. Good. Well, uh, let's jump into it. So uh, you have recently uh, taken that position on as Bureau Chief. And uh, what's been happening? Well, you know, I, I started the position back in May of this year. So uh, just a little over six months. And so there's been a lot going on at the Bureau. Um, we have a uh, license management system that has been in the, been in the process of being implemented for uh, well, going on two years now. And it, it takes a lot of our time getting all the uh, applications and everything online and trying to make it more user-friendly for the, for the users out there. And, um, so that's, uh, that's something that takes a lot of our time and it eventually will be something that will be very helpful for the, for the end users. And that's for whether they're applying for an ambulance service license or a, a paramedic license or whatever we, we use that particular system. So that was kind of a somewhat new thing that's gone on here in the last couple of years, but still being implemented. So my coming into it on, in May, um, it's taken a lot of my time working with that. Um, we are um, also going through our regulations and trying to update a lot of them. Uh, many of them haven't been looked at and updated in quite some time. And, and so they need language changes and new terminology to reflect and to refer to the new scope of practice language and um, uh, those kinds of things. So curriculum type things to get things up to date. Um, so we've, uh, we've been pretty busy the last, uh, last few months. Um, you know, of course we're, uh, um, we've, we've got some other, things that have happened in just the past few months. We've got all of our services that are now submitting data to uh, to the state electronically like they're supposed to, which then is submitted to NEMSIS. So that, that's a big deal because uh, getting everyone to submit everything that they needed, all the services um, in the state was kind of a, was kind of a big ordeal. And I, I'm not taking credit for that. I came in, uh, the process was already started when I came into it, um, but it's a, uh, it's a good thing to have all that data being reported now to NEMSIS. It'll be, be uh, good to be able to uh, get some reports out and hopefully uh, folks can use that data to improve care throughout the state. Uh, excellent. I know that uh, in the state of Indiana, we that was a really big push and it, it, the IDHS, which is Indiana's Department of Homeland Security, really kept it in front of us so that we were conscious of it and made sure that we got to nearly 100%. So 
I do understand that massive undertaking. So in your young career as the bureau chief, um, do you have any very specific things you're looking to um, bring to uh, the state or improve within the state that uh, you've strategically thought about? Well, I think that, uh, again, going back to our, our license management system, getting that up and running at full capacity and full efficiency so that we can make things easier for those that are using it that are relicensing, licensing and relicensing. Um, and that is a part of just customer service. And I think that's, that's really a big part of what we need to be doing. Um, you know, the, the overall job of the Bureau of EMS is regulatory compliance. Um, you know, for all the personnel, ground and air services, uh, training entities, everybody, anybody that has a license, um, EMS-related license in, in Missouri, that's our job. But um, in order to do that, we need to have good customer service. And I think we do provide good customer service, but um, I think that some of the folks out in the field um, may not realize what all is involved. And I, part of what I'd like to do is get that message out to them. Um, this is what we're doing for you. How else can we help you? How can we make your jobs easier? Because they've got a tough job out there. So that's, uh, that's kind of my overarching goal um, as the new bureau chief. So a government agency providing excellent customer service. Wow. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> you are blowing exactly. my mind right now. There. Right. <laughs> it's visionary. I'm telling it you. It is visionary, but you're <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that that you know that spans your career previous to being an EMS chief, uh, bureau chief, because you were on the other side of that call. You were on the other side of that experience, and I think we only can do better when we try, and because of experience that we've had in the past. So I mean that's a tall task, and you know you may be able to. Uh, talk about this to the other, you know, states potentially about, you know, how important it is and the level of satisfaction that your employees get and the folks that they're serving get from just really good basic customer service. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, in my particular situation, you know, uh, you know, you and I go way back and you know that I've, I've had a, a variety of positions and whether it was a field provider or a teacher, uh, educator, uh, or administration, um, everybody in, interacts with the Bureau of EMS, right? So um, I personally haven't had a lot of problems with it over the years, but I've, I've seen it, witnessed it. And um, so, you know, I think I bring that to the table as I come into this new position and uh, my experiences, I think, help with that, you know, help me to identify where maybe some of those, those gaps are and, and to work towards fixing that. Very good. So is there anything uh, new and exciting, breaking, coming down the pike, anything that's happening in the state of Missouri that uh, people should know? Well, um, you know, we, I'm, I don't know if you, how exciting you would call it, but uh, one of the 
the things that we are, are doing is um, we are part of the EMS interstate compact. Um, so I, I think it's, it's definitely new. I don't know how exciting, but it's a, uh, it's a neat um, opportunity, I guess I would call it for us to interact. There's 21 states in the compact and what that allows us to do is have uh, the ability for people in other jurisdictions and say they're in a bordering state that is, um, let's just use Kansas, for example, and they're part of the compact, we're part of the compact, and if they want to work in Missouri, um, we can verify their credentials and everything um, via this compact process and allow them to work in Missouri um, because we are part of a, a member of this EMS compact. And I think that really helps with people and their ability to move around and provide care and in a, in a multi-jurisdictional approach. So that's kind of an exciting thing to me. And, and um, you know, that's still an implementation in, that we're going through right now. We just had all of our uh, license data integrated into the, the database that goes along with that. Um, so that's kind of some exciting things going on there. Um, but really, um, you know, just updating some of these regulations. I know that doesn't sound very exciting, but if you're out there working um, and, and realize how outdated some of these regs are, um, for example, if you're an, a teacher you know, doing EMS training and, and you want to be teaching at the 2019 scope of practice and our regulations say, no, you still have to follow the 2007 scope of practice. That's kind of a problem. And, and that's really where we're at right now. So getting all of that kind of up to date is really exciting. I know there's a lot of people that are out in the, in the field that want, that are looking for that and have been looking for that to happen over the last few years. But it's a major undertaking and it's kind of a, the old, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, that's what this is, one reg at a time. It's not exciting, but it's um, it needs to be done and it'll be helpful. Again, back to customer service, it's really part of that as well. It'll be helpful to everybody that's out in the field trying to uh, provide care and um, teach and all the other aspects. Very good. I really appreciate the the uh, food reference with the elephant uh, during the <laughs> holiday season, uh, close to my heart. But yeah. <laughs> but no, that's important, right? Um, and and when we're talking about being a, a real profession uh, across the United States, uh, can people move about? And if there are bad actors that are EMTs and paramedics, then they need to be sniffed out. And I've always been a strong proponent of states talking across the their lines so i think this compact is really moving us in the right direction as a country when it comes to seeing ems as a true profession so uh look forward to other the uh results of the success of and for more states to uh, add on to that process so let's go yeah 100 percent agree so Great. I really appreciate it. I didn't want to take up too much more of your time. I hope uh, that this was beneficial for you as it was for our listeners. 
And um, if you're okay with it, if they have further questions, is it okay if they get in contact with you with the information that I have? Uh, yes, that'd be absolutely fine. All right. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your holiday, and uh, I'll see you. I'll see you around. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me. Well, now we're at the part of the show that uh, gives us a spotlight uh, guest. And because we're talking to you during the Christmas season, we also have to remember those less fortunate and those who are in the business who may be having some difficulties, whether it's a loved one who's sick or one who has died. Uh, we always want to be conscious of lifting people up, giving them solutions, and just in general, helping folks uh, in their time of need. So I have uh, Mr. Pitton here from Pitton Pending Consultations Salute, Solutions, and he's going to talk about some of those mental health uh, issues that people run into and some solutions that we can help us get through this uh, difficult time for some of us. Uh, Mr. Pitton, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you uh, coming onto the program and being able to share some of your knowledge about uh, mental health. So, um, you know, being somebody that's been in the EMS fire world like you have, uh, you get understand firsthand of what it's like to see loss, to see death, to see a family go through the grieving process. Um, what things have you done to help you get through these different things? I have used mental health professionals to help me get through some of the challenges that I've dealt with over the last 14 years in my career, uh, as well as uh, my family. Uh, Huge family support uh, ever since I got in the EMS. Uh, they've been my backbone uh, because I've always had communications uh, with, especially my immediate family. Uh, I'll start with the family first before I get with the mental health uh, professionals that I've dealt with uh, because I haven't used mental health professionals a lot. It's been more of my own family, uh, my immediate family. So. Uh, when I got into EMS back in 2007, I had a long conversation uh, with uh, my immediate family, my wife, my uh, children, and I talked about some of the things that I was taught about in terms of some of the dangers, uh, some of the traumas, some of the, the good, the bad, the ugly, basically. Um, and I knew I was going to learn more about the good and the bad and the ugly. But I think in the beginning, uh, having those initial conversations with them, like, like, hey, you know what? Daddy may come home and may not be in a happy mood like he was when he left this morning because he saw a kid get hurt or killed or he had to save somebody's life or you know, somebody was on drugs and he had to revive them or just any of the myriad of issues that I faced uh, subsequently over the years. And uh, so if, I, if I'm if i not happy, if I'm not necessarily in a good mood or something like that, it doesn't mean don't approach me. It doesn't mean don't come and give me a hug. It doesn't mean leave me alone 
or anything like that. Uh, please embrace me. Please talk to me. Please come to me. Uh, one of the things that I did also was I really made a conscious effort not to bring work home. Uh, I tried to leave that that hat at the job. And when I came home, I was dead. Uh, there were more times that was easier than not. Uh, however, I kept that philosophy and that practice going on over these last 14 years because I didn't want to negatively affect my loved ones because I always grew up uh, in a household where with a single mom and she always taught me as a little kid, hey, you know what, unless you own it or your name is on it, you never get attached to a building. And part of that mindset was you have to be aware that as a employee, you're also an independent contractor. And that plays a lot into your mental health because the way you approach the job can make a huge difference in terms of how you deal with stressors on the job, no matter if it's EMS, fire, if you work in an office, if you work on the street, no matter what it is. So uh, I use my family a lot in those situations to help me deal with some of the stressors. As far as the mental health aspect in terms of professionals, uh, I believe it was 2018. Uh, I had gotten remarried uh, the year later, but prior to that, uh, my fiance and I, we saw counseling. Part of it was premarital counseling and part of it was I had a bad call that particular year. Uh, and I wanted to see, just make sure that, you know, I was still, I still had the straight mindset. I still had a, a clear thought process in terms of I wasn't in, interpersonalizing a lot of the trauma that I had saw. I didn't take it too personally. Uh, and that was just one session, you know, because I was having some nightmares and I was having some trouble sleeping and it was just kind of work, you know, it was kind of wrecking my nerves for a couple of weeks. And it wasn't something that made me want to use drugs or drink alcohol excessively or anything like that. It was just something that it was kind of a nagging thing more than anything. And I was like, well, let me see what I can do to alleviate this, this stressor. And so I talked to a professional and we had about an hour conversation and I just kind of laid it out what was going on and I said, I think at this point I'm doing a lot better, but I just want to talk to somebody to see if I'm missing anything or do I need to focus on something else? Because as you know, there's five stages of grief. You know, you have denial, you have anger, you have bargaining, you have uh, depression, you have acceptance. And so I had gone through pretty much all of those stages in that two and a half week time from that initial call. And so at the end of that, uh, that two and a half weeks, uh, when I met with the therapist, we talked about those things, including the five stages of grief. And she basically gave me the thumbs up and she said, you know, I, I wish more people like you would come and talk to somebody like me. I wish more people in your position uh, would come and take advantage of mental health. Uh, that's available, you know, whether you have health insurance or not, like you got to get help uh, because if you don't, 
that tends to manifest itself in other things, drug addiction, alcoholism, domestic violence, just a myriad of things that as EMS professionals, we may get a call about. So that was kind of my Cliff Notes version of my approach to mental health crisis. Wow, you, you, it sounds like you have significant family support, which is always important. But even if you don't, uh, being able to recognize that your mental health uh, can be just as important as physical health. And that, you, and that you're able to talk to people and really get that out of your system so that uh, you can heal. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Absolutely. Uh, part of a huge mental health issue that I dealt with <clears throat> was actually moving from St. Louis to Charlotte last year. And we can talk about how I dealt with that mental health issue because I ended up retiring from EMS and fire last year. Uh, and that was all due to COVID. Uh, well, that was the initial umbrella of it. Okay. Um, so you've talked about getting these things. So what helps you when it comes to, okay, I feel this aura of I'm have, about to have a mental health crisis. You're feeling this aura. What gets you out of that crisis? The initial thought process that I have when I deal with a traumatic situation uh, with, uh, let's say, with patient care, or I had a bad call, uh, the initial meeting, or if, if I would say when the initial call comes out, I have a standard practice that I do, uh, that I learned from my mentor. He said, whenever those tones drop, whenever you get a 911 call, the first thing you want to do is check your own pulse. Because if you're all over the place and you're already and you know, you get this adrenaline rush, check your own pulse. Take five seconds and breathe. Take some deep breaths. To get that tachycardia to slow down, to get your heart rate down so you can focus, so you're not all over the place. And then you go ahead and you go to that call because during that whole process, and that's kind of from a start to finish that I would do that, uh, maintaining my professionalism, really making a, a concerted effort to not get too personally attached in that call, even though I'm treating another human and I'm gonna treat that other human or humans like they were my own family, you still have that professionalism that you have to maintain because if you don't, you're not going to be any good in this field. Uh, every call is not, you know, we call them old crap calls or BS calls. And so every call that you get is not going to be an old crap call. Uh, most of your calls are going to be low acuity depending on where you work. And so when I would get one of those old crap calls, you know, I'm talking to my partner, you know, I'm checking on him or her. They're checking on me. You know, if, if it's more units that go out, especially when I was at the fire department and the pumper came with us, you know, we're all kind of giving each other a self-check. You know, we're, hey, you're doing OK, you're getting a pat on the back, you need some water, you need a break, you know, 
different things like that. Uh, we build a camaraderie uh, at the fire department. We also, when we, when I was working at the uh, private EMS service, my partner and I, we, even if it was a, a short partnership because working for a private EMS service, you're not always working with the same person, uh, you would get a bond with that person. If I was working with somebody new, the first day, you know, try, I would try to do before the first call is just have a conversation with that person and kind of break the ice, talk about some things that we need to be aware of. Hey, you know what? Here's some standard things that I, I try to do to maintain just safety first and foremost, you know, because it's you, then your partner, then the crew member. And so at, from a mental health standpoint, it's just that conversation with that person. Hey, you know what, if we get a call and somebody's trying to uh, attack us in the back of the ambulance or what have you, there's certain things that I might say to you if you're driving and I'm in the back, I might say, hey, you know, um, I don't like beets, like the vegetable. So if I say the, anything with the word beets in it, you know that it's, it's about to go down. So if you got to call the supervisor, got to call the cops, if you got to pull over, that's your cue to, that something has gone haywire. Uh, and that was part of that communication. So for the mental health standpoint, as far as working with my team or working with my partner, that was one way that I approached how to deal with these traumatic situations, talking to the family members, because you're not only dealing with the patient, you're dealing with the family members, you're dealing with bystanders, you're dealing with onlookers, you're dealing with other law enforcement officers and other first responders having communications with them. You know, it's a whole team effort. And that was my approach to it. I didn't look at it like, okay, I'm here. I'm on the scene. I'm the medic in charge. Everybody stand back and I'm going to bark orders like Tommy Lee Jones. No, you, you can't come from that aspect. You have to talk to people. You have to be sensitive to the situation. You have to maintain professionalism. You have to have rapport with people. You have to build a consensus with your team who can be people that you have just met from day one. So that was my approach during my time in the field, because I think if you look at it from a different perspective and you don't incorporate those things and you just say, hey, I'm just going to do this job and I'm just going to go home. Either you're going to burn out or you're going to end up quitting that job and you may not even be the best at that job because of your approach to it. Very true. This is not the kind of job that you can mentally wing it. So, yeah, yeah, no winging it. Yeah. So you have to have some strategies. You have to practice those strategies. And it sounds like you got some good uh, options for people to use. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Pinson, I would love to have you back and we can talk more in depth about what you're doing. I wanted to focus this though on the mental health and the holidays, just making sure that people are okay. And if this, this uh, talk, this interview helps one person, then I think I've done my job. So I appreciate you giving me some, some really good information that these listeners will be able to really take home and, and do something with and it's functional. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that uh, 
I'm getting ready to start doing is or uh, part of my company uh, as a consultant, we're going to delve more into mental health issues as far as uh, linking people in the field as far as first responders with mental health uh, resources in terms of uh, there's a program I know of in St. Louis, a young lady started who works for CDMS. Uh, she started an organization that deals with uh, mental health issues, sort of in the same line of critical incident stress debriefing. Um, also partnering with other mental health professionals uh, that will focus specifically on first responders and the different needs that they will uh, need. And so that's one of the things that we're gonna be doing. And also uh, I'm gonna be doing with uh, a mental health professional, uh, a podcast coming up in the next year where we're talking about mental health issues from various aspects. Uh, because I always say that mental health is the world's oldest continuous pandemic. Mm. Uh, and if you look at mental health from that point of view, uh, mental health crises has been at the forefront of every issue known to mankind almost from day one. And so I know right now, uh, especially in the last year and a half or almost two years, uh, especially with this pandemic going on, the focus has been more on that. But if you look back in history, you can look at any topic from A to Z. It has a mental health component to it that has changed the world. Uh, and so we have to focus on mental health issues and get away from all the stigma. You know, we're not talking back in the days where people would be in padded rooms, you know, uh, nobody's being chained to a radiator. Uh, nobody's getting lobotomies and different things like that. Now, there's still treatments like electric shock therapy that are going on that's way different than the lobotomies that used to go on. Uh, there's different medications that are available also that uh, people can take under their doctor's care. Uh, there's just a myriad of, of, of mental health things that when we look at it as a whole, either from society or just from an individual standpoint, you have to own your own stuff. And that's where it starts. If you don't own your own mental health issues and acknowledge them, then it doesn't matter how much help is available, you won't partake of. And so that's part of my focus is to help people help themselves. Perfect. Well, I thank you. Uh Mr. Penton from Penton Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. Thank you, and sir. Uh, I appreciate it. We'll have you back in uh, 2022. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. So now we're on the segment of careers, and uh, it's an exciting opportunity for me to present uh, Chief Freeman. Uh, he's currently with the uh, Oakland Fire Department, and uh, I want to give our listeners a chance to listen to someone who's made some upper trajectory, uh, where they came from and how they got there. So welcome, Chief Freeman. Hey, hello, Chief Randall. And thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, well, thank you. So uh, again, this segment talk, talks about careers in uh, 
in the EMS firewall. And uh, I would love for you to give us, uh, you know, what gave you the spark to even get into the business? Where did that come from? So, you know, that, that's a great question. And, you know, for me, my entire life, I've been an athlete. And I, in high school and college, I was an All-American track and field athlete. Now, that was many pounds ago, uh, but I was something to deal with on the track. I ran a four by four and the 800 meters. So, you know, that and I played football also uh, in high school, uh, baseball, and, you know, was was OK. Basketball, you know, I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be uh, dunking, slamming them like like LeBron, but I had a nice crossover. So, you know, being an athlete. Uh, that was one thing that really attracted me to the fire service. You know, it is the fire service. If you think about it is the ultimate team sport. So it was athletic in nature. It was team oriented, but most importantly, you can serve your community and make a difference. So all the pieces of the puzzle came together for me uh, in regards to becoming a firefighter EMT 20 years ago. So you go to school, you become an EMT. Where, where did you start your career and what got you in? So I started my career on the, on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And that was uh, my first day in a firehouse was February 19th, 2001. And at the time, the department was looking to hire uh, its first African-American firefighter. So my barber, who was a mentor to me, had said, hey, Reg, you know, they're looking for for firefighters. You know, you'd be a great candidate. You're athletic. You're smart, which that's the that's the debatable. But that's what he said. Um, and I think you'd be a great firefighter. And I know the mayor. I could put a good word in for you. And so I, I thought about it. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to me. And so I, I did put in and ultimately got hired. And the rest is history, as they say. Okay. So your first year in, you're at this department, the first African-American in the department. What was the atmosphere like? What was the culture like? How did you get acclimated into an environment like that? So, you know, my father, he's from Indianola, Mississippi, in the Delta cotton fields. And my grandfather was a sharecropper, you know, worked very hard, both of them, their entire lives. Actually, my father, he went to the cotton fields and tended to, uh, tended to the work before going to school as a kid. Uh, and then my wife is from Mississippi. And I said all of that to say, I don't want to paint Mississippi with a broad brush, However, my experience in the fire service uh, while, I, while I was in Mississippi was, was challenging, to say the least. So, you know, being called the N-word, hearing the N-word, uh, having a noose in my locker, uh, broken glass in my bunk boots. So this is all 2001, right? 2001, 2002, you know, not 1960 or 1950. So that was... Was the that was the atmosphere, and you know, were there good days? Yeah, absolutely, there were good days. But you know, to no one should be on the receiving end of, on that with that type of behavior uh, when we're supposed to be quote unquote brothers. 
brothers or supposed to be quote unquote brothers and sisters. So my fire service brothers did that to me. And that really is what motivated me to start making sure that I'm going to be the best possible firefighter EMT I could be because I don't want to be the weakest link and I won't be the weakest link and I'm not going to give them anything to talk about or to say uh, negatively about me. And so I put myself through rope rescue technician. I put myself through confined space rescue technician, put myself through hazmat technician, uh, put myself through trench rescue, through certified advanced rescue specialists. You name it, I put myself through the class because I wanted to be the best firefighter EMT I could be. So uh, it was challenging, but if I did not have that experience, quite frankly, I don't know if my career, well, I know my career trajectory would not have been what it was to put me in the seat that I'm in today. You know, and I think that I, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And although that was a painful time in my life, in hindsight, I'm grateful for that for that pain because it helped mold me into the person I am today. Um, all in one word motivation, right? That's right. So now you're you're getting into you're getting into the groove. Where did you start? noticing that you were promotable. What did you do to get promotable? And where did you go next? So that's a good question, man. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> so I, I've always been very driven. Some may call it ambitious, but I've always been very driven, very focused, right? And I knew, and I also knew and understood that no one gives you anything in life. My father taught me that. And so as I was going through, putting myself through all these classes, within my first year being on the job, I had dreams and aspirations of being a fire chief for the sole purpose, not, not for the brass, but, but for the sole purpose so that I can be in a position to where no one would have to feel the same way that I felt. And one instance that stands out specifically to me is when it became known uh, of who the DC snipers were. And we were in the day room and it was breaking news and a comment was made by a captain who said they ought to send his monkey ASS back where he came from. Cause they were talking, they had just got through talking about his pilgrimage to Af Africa and, and, and so forth. So, and I called the captain out on that. I said, hey, you know, uh, I, I, I agree. This is horrible. You know, these guys have done some evil things, but, you know, you're not going to call that man a monkey. He said, well, I didn't call him a monkey. You're turning this into a racial issue. I said, I'm not turning it into anything. I'm just saying you said send his monkey ASS back where he came from. And I'm just asking you to not refer to him as a monkey. So he cussed me out. Cause I'm a firefighter, right? He cussed me out, tried to flex as being a, an officer. And so I said, Hey, look, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want, we can go talk to the chief. So go to the chief. And I, as I was starting to tell my side of the story here, he barges into the office and starts screaming. And the chief asked him to, you know, calm down and to be quiet so I could finish talking. And he does that. And so I finish, I finish my, my explanation. And so the chief then looks at, the officer and me and says, well, I've never heard of anybody referring to 
black people as monkeys. And then he looks at the officer and says, calls him by his name and says, have, have you? And the officer looks at me, shakes his head and says, nope. Then the chief looks back at me and says, well, I guess this conversation is over. So it was those types of experiences to where it really lit a fire inside of me to be in a position to where no one will have to feel the way that I felt, regardless of your race, your heritage, your sexual orientation, your gender, none of that matters. None of that matters. It's all about the job, it's about the mission, and it's about our badge, and more importantly, our oath of office. Because I think far too many times, we tend to lose focus on, on the oath of office that we've all taken to our communities and to our residents. And whenever there is conflict within an organization, the best way to get back on track is to reorient everyone to the organizational statements, the mission, the vision, and the values. Because I never had that, I never experienced that. So with me taking all the classes that I did early on in my career and pursuing higher education and pursuing credentials, meanwhile, getting experience, you know, that was truly what set me up to be where I'm at today. And it was because of those bad days, I'm able to enjoy the good ones now. Wow. Um, so did you become a lieutenant in Mississippi or where did that start for you? Well, I left Mississippi as a firefighter EMT, went to Iraq as a civilian officer working for the government uh, as a captain. So they originally hired me as a captain, but then I was acting assistant chief. The following year, they promoted me to assistant chief and then I was acting fire chief. The following year, they promoted me to fire chief. And then the year after that, I uh, maintained my five bugles, but was transferred to headquarters in Baghdad. And I was the chief of compliance, safety and planning. Now, mind you, for all intents and purposes, I'm still a kid, right? You right. know, I've only, only been on the fire, in the fire service four or five years before becoming this quote unquote company officer, but really a, a chief officer. I was insecure. I was scared to death, but I didn't want anybody to see it. I didn't want anybody to know it. Uh, but I was very, very insecure because I knew, you know, if I was going to be honest with myself, when you think about competency or one who is competent, it's training, education and experience. But most importantly, the application of that training, education and experience. So I had two out of the three. And there's only one way to get that experience. Right. Is to live it and to go through. it. So, the all, you know, my my commitment to myself was to, number one, be humble. Uh, number two, know that I'm not going to have all the answers to the questions, but people around me will, you know, so trust the team. Doesn't matter what their rank is and uh, gleam off of their experience. Because at the end of the day, as the ultimate team sport, it takes all of us to contribute to be successful. And so uh, left Iraq, became the fire chief for Lockheed Martin in Atlanta, Air Force Plant 6. Uh, then was recruited to go to Hartford as their assistant chief of support services. So I did that. And then Lockheed Martin called me back and asked me to come back and be 
their international fire chief air force plant for Fort Worth, Texas. So I, I did that. And then Hartford called me back. <laughs> uh, Bear was newly elected and said, Hey, I'm looking for a fire chief and your name keeps coming up. Uh, would you mind having to sit down with me? And so I did and went back to Hartford as the fire chief there for six years uh, when Oakland called me and asked me to come to Oakland to be their chief. Wow. So you have military chief and you have civilian chief. Uh, can you list any massive differences between the two or are they really kind of one and the same? You know, the difference between the two is folks are a lot more opinionated on the civilian side, <laughs> uh, which is good, right? Which is good. I mean, I'm Gen X, so I was born in 78. I'm right there on the line, you know, of, of uh, baby boomers and Gen X. And so for me, discipline is nothing. You know, my father is a retired non-commissioned officer, career non-commissioned officer with the Air Force. So I was raised by a military man with a military hand, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm. So, uh, you know, that that's the real, that's the biggest difference. And I'm, but I'm grateful for both of the experiences, right? My career starting in Mississippi, going through that adversity, having the opportunity to serve those who protect us in a combat zone and being able to see firsthand the sacrifices that our men and women in uniform have made for our country, for our freedom. I'll forever be grateful for that. And, you know, being able to take care of them in any way that we could while we were, while I was there for four years in Iraq and then being able to come home and then serve, serve Hartford and now to serve Oakland, uh, two communities that are majority persons of color. Uh, that is, that has been such a blessing. And I say persons of color, instead of minority, because I feel a minority is a mindset. Legally, structurally, are there barriers in place, uh, so to speak, for persons of color that would certainly qualify them or qualify persons of color to be a, quote, minority? True, true, of course, because a minority, if you think about it, is anyone who was not in the majority. Uh, however, for me, I, I would prefer to say persons of color because I truly do believe that uh, referring to anyone as a minority uh, could be uh, somewhat uh, detrimental to their psyche and, and their ability to see themselves as someone who could contribute to a cause or contribute to an organization in a productive way. Well, absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's a pretty dominating statement to call somebody a minority. So uh, I completely agree with that. Well, I really, really appreciate you talking about your career path, and I would love to have you come back uh, next year as a guest uh, in the spotlight portion of the show to dig in some of the uh, wins and opportunities that you've had uh, as you trajected yourself up to this position. So I would love to have you back. Oh, thank you so much, Chief. It's my pleasure to be here and always a pleasure to join you uh, anywhere and any way that I can. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, this is Chief Freeman from the Oakland Fire Department, uh, careers in EMS and fire. Thanks again, Chief. All right. Thank you.